Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. Hi, I'm Amy Reach, and I have been a member of the Cross family now for about five years. And when Tim called and asked me would I be willing to share my um, faith and what it means to me and what the Cross family means to me and then what motherhood means to me, there was no hesitation. I was very fortunate to be raised in a family that was Christ-centered. My mother and my father taught us about the love of Jesus, so at a very young age, I accepted Him as my personal Lord and Savior. But as many people do, there are many twists and turns to their life and their story, and of course, mine did too. And through that time, even though some of those decisions were mine, some were not, um, I always knew that Jesus would never leave or forsake me. And He lovingly pulled me back into His arms when I decided to stray a little bit. And I knew that I would never be left by Him because He promises to never leave or forsake us. So if it hadn't been for my faith and my trust in Him as my personal Savior, I'm not so sure where I would have ended up. And the thing that I feel really blessed about is that um, the Cross family has been my church for the last five years. My husband and I, the first day that we stepped in the doors of the church, we were greeted by Tim, and there was an immediate connection and love that we felt from this family. And it has been just such a tremendous experience to be able to do life with a group of people that we're able to laugh together, love together, worship together, and hurt together. And the way that this family has invested in my family, along with my husband's mission field as being the head coach in a public high school, it's been amazing the lives that have been changed because this church family has been willing to invest. And the last thing that really means a lot to me is being a mother. I watched my mom as I grew up really invest in um, her children and show unconditional love because of the fact that she understood Christ's love for her. And I thought I truly understood what that was, but it wasn't truly until I became a mother of my own that I understood what sacrificial, unconditional love really is. And the fact that Jesus would die on the cross for my sins has just been amazing. So that's what motherhood means to me. And I'm able to love my children and my husband and my family even more for understanding that sacrificial love that Jesus has for me. So thanks for listening to my story and happy Mother's Day. Good morning, Cross family, and happy Mother's Day. Let me say this before we get rolling today. I know my mom is back in Noonan, Georgia. She watches all of our sermons online. And mom, I want to say happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, for 57 years, what an incredible mom and support you have been in my life, in uh, Christy's life, in Adam's life. We just want to say we love you, and we're so proud of who you are. Also, I want to give a shout out to my wife, Barb. Barb, you're an incredible wife, but what an amazing mom you are. 27 years of being a mom to Rachel, Benji, Jesse, Hannah, and Caleb. Barb, I love you so much and uh, just so thankful for you. And so to all the other moms, I just want to say happy Mother's Day. Uh, Rick gave us an incredible update with the Next Gen Ministries. I'm so thankful for Rick and for his entire team. They do uh, just a tremendous job. 
Also, Amy Reach, thank you for such uh, a beautiful testimony you shared with us today. We love you so much. Uh, you and Kevin and your family, you mean so much to us. And uh, we're, we're so appreciative of just your family. Let me say this before uh, we roll into John 17. One of our staff uh, persons has gone beyond the call of duty over the last six weeks. Ashley Blair, we are so proud of you, girl. Our online services have ministered to thousands because of the long hours and detailed work that you've put in. You may be behind the scenes. People may not see you, but you have been such an awesome team player for us over these last weeks. Let me say this. Ashley does all of our videos, all of the arranging. She makes sure that everything is being uploaded to YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook. We couldn't do it without you, Ashley. We love you. And again, we just want to say thank you. Now, guys, I want to pray and I want to dive in to John 17 with you today. Bow with me, please. Father, as we bow before you, we just want to say you're an awesome God. You're a mighty God. You're a faithful God. You're a good, good Father. As we open your word now and dive in to John 17 here, I pray that each and every one of us would open our hearts and our minds to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit right now. I pray that you would speak to us, and I pray that transformation would take place in our lives as a result, Father, of what you are going to do in our lives right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think about something. The passion hour has come. Jesus is hours away from facing the torture of the cross. What do you think God the Son will say to God the Father the night before he is crucified for the sins of the world. Divine communication is about to take place, and it's happening between the Son and the Father. God is talking to God. Holy is interacting with holy. Now, what is Jesus going to say? The Bible is filled with conversations with Jesus talking to the Father. You can study the pages of Scripture. But we read, even in Mark chapter 1, that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed to the Father. Luke chapter 5 says that Jesus often withdrew, and he would go to lonely places, and he would pray to the Father. Now, Jesus prayed often. Jesus prayed early. And to you and I, I would think that would be a great model for us to follow, that we would pray, we would press into the Lord, we would pray without ceasing, but we would pray early, we would pray often, and we would find those places of solitude and isolation so that we could commune with the Father. Great model Jesus gives us as he interacts with the Father. Matthew 27, Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Reality is, uh, Jesus prayed during adverse times, and we're called by God, uh, even in the storms of life that we face, to seek God uh, during adversity, during tension, during pressure, and I would invite you to do that. Jesus loved 
the Father. And Jesus communicated often with the Father. And if we love God and are really seeking to honor God and to stay intimate with God, we're going to find those places where we can press in. Jesus prayed for wisdom. He prayed for guidance. He prayed for strength. And I believe he invites you and I to do the same thing. Jesus prayed with such honesty and with such reverence, and that should be the heart cry of you and I. Now, as we dive in to John 17, I want to establish with you right out of the gate that Jesus Christ is fully God and Jesus was fully man. He is fully God, but he was fully man. And when you study the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, God has revealed himself to us through Genesis all the way to Revelation. But understand this, the final and complete revelation was the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, John chapter 1, we started this entire series uh, back months ago. But in John 1, we read this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. So again, even John establishes right when he begins to write that Jesus is deity, Jesus is God, Jesus is God in flesh. Hebrews chapter 1, one of my favorite uh, verses when it comes to emphasizing uh, the deity of Christ, it says this, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Through the Son, he created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Jesus is the final revelation. God has spoken through his Son. And even the Father would say, this is my Son. In him I am well pleased because Jesus is the radiance of the triune God of the Father. And Jesus even said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In John 17, we get to listen to God the Son talk and interact with God the Father. It's such a powerful chapter. Verse 1 of John chapter 17 it says this, and after Jesus spoke these things, chapters 13 through 16, Jesus is encouraging the disciples. He's teaching the disciples. He's instructing the disciples. And if you read 13 through 16, he's encouraging them. You've got to love your neighbor because when you love your neighbor, it's going to reveal who you belong to. He tells them, be servants. He washes their feet. And Jesus encourages the disciples, humble yourselves and serve others. He would even say later that the greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. Then Jesus promises, the Holy Spirit is coming. The helper is coming. The power of God, the parakletos, God is going to pour his power inside of you. He's coming. Jesus also encouraged them, hey, do not let your heart be troubled. You can overcome worry. You don't have to live according to the world system. He encouraged them, stay with me, abide with me, depend on me, don't go anywhere. Be a people of prayer. Seek the heart of heaven. God is for you. God's not against you. Cry out to the Father, 
And then Jesus closes in John 16 by saying, my peace I'm going to make available. The shalom of God that transcends the storms of life, I'm going to give to you. Now, now, Jesus is encouraged and uh, he, he, he's, he, he's coached up the disciples. In John 17, he's not speaking to the disciples any longer. Now, he focuses his attention to the Father. Ponder that. He's talking to the Father. And Jesus had intimacy with the Father like no one has ever had. I've talked to you guys. I've encouraged you guys. They've made their way through the Kidron Valley. They've made their way through Gethsemane. And now Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives and he speaks to the Father. And the scripture says, lifting his eyes to heaven. Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. What a powerful, powerful perspective. He goes on to say, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, that they may know Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on the earth. I have accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Oh, Father. Father, Father, it's the same way he encouraged the disciples in the model prayer. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, say our Father. And Jesus is calling God, Father. And the word Father there in the Greek, it means a deep acknowledgement of reverence and respect. It implies authority. It implies affection. It's daddy. It's papa. It's Abba, and Jesus is speaking from an intimate, eternal knowledge of who the Father is. And then Jesus says, glorify your Son. Powerful phrase. This means to manifest, to reveal the hidden truth about. It means to recognize, to honor, to esteem by placing in a valued position. And Jesus is saying, Father, Daddy, Abba. Recognize who I am and esteem me now to my rightful place. Jesus then declares to the Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, I have finished the mission. If you read in verse 2, verse 4 and 5, Jesus is saying, I have finished the mission. I did what you asked me to do. I did it the way you wanted it done. I stayed on mission. I left heaven. I came to earth. I put aside certain deitic privileges, Father. I became fully man. I walked this planet for 33 years in purity. I was sinless. I extended healing, Father, to those who were hurting. I did the miraculous. I loved. I fed. I led. Father, I have come to our chosen people. They rejected me. I came to the outcast. They welcomed me. I'm about to die a criminal's death to redeem humanity. Father, I have finished the mission. And oh, as I'm pondering and reading through John 17, I was like, Lord, that is my prayer that when I am hours away from breathing my last breath, that I could say, I 
finish the mission, Father, that you gave me, Lord. And come on, that is exactly what you want. That is what you long for. One day, God's going to say, give me back my breath, and we're going to stand before the king. But to hear him say, well done, mission complete, that is what we long for today. And then Jesus says, Abba, I have provided salvation for all people in verse 3. Jesus declares man can now have, uh, have assurance of eternal life with the Father. He can have certainty. He's saying, Father, the way now is paved. He goes on to say, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and that they will know Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Glorify me, Father. Esteem me to the right place that people will know that I am God in flesh, that I am the only way, that I have become the sacrifice for the sin of the world. And then as Jesus finishes that, he then spends time praying for the disciples, for the 12. But I believe this also implies even to us today, we can make this uh, a connection, if you will. And as he prays for the disciples, he prays that they would be filled with knowledge, that they would know the truth, that they would walk in the truth. And the word know there is the word gnosko. We play on that word at times, gnosko versus oida. But gnosko is a heartfelt, experiential uh, relationship with the Father. It's not just this cognitive concept. He's praying, Lord, I pray that they would be filled with knowledge, that they would walk in knowledge. I mean, it's a great prayer to pray over your kids, over your family, over those that you're discipling. He goes on to pray, I pray that they would persevere, I pray that they would stay with it, they would endure, that they would stay the course. Jesus then prays for unity, and I'm going to come back to unity here in a bit, because it is such a major theme in John chapter 17. Jesus prays that they would walk in joy. And that means that they would have gladness of heart, that the transcendent work of the Holy Spirit living inside would lead them to peace. Jesus prays for their protection. Father, I pray that you would protect them from the evil one, that Satan would not be able to disrupt or disturb their lives. Then he prays for their sanctification, that they would live holy, set apart for God's use. Oh, that whole list right there would be such a powerful thing to pray over your family, that you would pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed over the disciples for your own kids and for your own loved ones. And then Jesus at the end of John 17 prays for all who will believe. And this is a crucial theme as you study John 17. Verses 20 through 24, he Again, prays for unity and oneness of the believers. He prays that, uh, that we would really walk in love, that we would really have this future hope only founded in him. It's such a powerful chapter. Now, here's where I want to drive the majority of our conversation. Jesus used the word one, and he used the word unity several times in John chapter 17. If you're going through it and you started to circle or highlight every time the word one or unity is used, uh, believe me, multiple times it's there. I mean, you'll see where he says in John 17 that they may be one, Father, like you and I are one. He goes on to say, Father, you are in me and I am in you so that they may be one in us. That's the prayer. I have given them uh, the glory you gave me that they may be 
one. Father, I'm praying that they may experience perfect unity. So much of what Jesus prayed was all about oneness and unity of the believer. Now get this. The reason Jesus gave for oneness or unity is that the world might believe that he is truly Messiah. Jesus said, I'm praying this so that the world will believe that I truly am Messiah. He says in John 17, 21, that they may all be one, Father, as you and I are one. Father, you're in me. And he goes on to say that the world may believe that you sent me. What a powerful thought. And I would, t- I would say this to you. Think about it. When believers cannot get along with each other, it hinders those who are in the world, and it hinders those who are lost from believing in Christ. It hinders the work of the gospel. Jesus said, they're going to know you're my followers by your love, by your compassion, by how well you treat your neighbor, by how well you forgive, by how well you extend grace to other people. They'll know you belong to me by your love, compassion, mercy, grace, all of this. Now, if you've been around church culture very long, you will realize that church splits and people dividing from those who do not agree with them It's way, way too normal today. And to me, it's very, very sad. I've been around church culture now for 34 years. And some will break fellowship if you do not use the 1611 KJV Bible. They they will tell you, if you're not going to read from the King James, we're not going to fellowship with you. And it breaks my heart. Some Some churches require that you agree with them when it comes to their positions of prophecy and end times. And they'll get into conversations about whether you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, what kind of trip, when when do you think the tribulation is going to happen? And people I've seen divide and split over that argument. Some believe, and this was early on in my faith journey, some believe that if you have a band, oh, you've got drums and guitars, that's of the devil. I heard that said years ago. I've even seen churches hold this position, and especially right when I first got saved. Some say that women cannot wear makeup, and they can't wear pants. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. No, that that didn't imply that you were to go around naked. It just meant that women had to wear dresses, and they couldn't wear pants. And that was my first church experience. And we have a girl in our church, Teresa, who sings here on the platform week after week. She was shamed by a pastor years ago for wearing jeans in public. She was told she could not lead worship if she was going to wear pants. And I can tell you this, religion has wounded so many people. And these wounds, these religious wounds, they are deep, deep wounds. And so many of us, including myself, We got beat up by religion. And the word religion, if you define it, it means a return to bondage. But for so many of us, we were beat up and we were put down and we were shamed and we were guilted. And for many, they struggled desiring even to go back to church. Now, don't miss this. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that we would be united, that we would come together But so much of what we see today is a violation of Jesus' prayer. 
Think about it. There are thousands of denominations right now in our world. Even if you took like the Baptist, even in the United States, there are so many different groups underneath the Baptist umbrella. And I was reading through this list the other day, and I was like, what a head scratcher. You've got Southern Baptist and American Baptist, and then you've got conservative Baptist, Calvinistic Baptist, free will Baptist, general Baptist, primitive Baptist, old regular Baptist. You've got fundamental Baptist and independent Baptist. And I was like, oh, wow, there's so, so many groups. And it got me thinking, how did we get so many subgroups? How many splits? How many fights? Why all the division? Why all the arguments? Because it's crazy, and it violates Jesus's prayer. You look at the denominations again, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Wesleyan, Church of Christ, and each of these groups teach a different doctrine, and each of these groups has their own different form of worship. And here's what I've come to see. Each group claims that their way is the right way, which implies every other way is the wrong way. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not the author of confusion. God is not the God, uh, is not a God of confusion. He doesn't bring chaos. When you go back and study Church history, the word denomination literally means to divide the nation. It means to divide the nation. And division is sinful. Even Paul, again, would write in 1 Corinthians 1, I exhort you, all the church at Corinth was experiencing all kinds of chaos. And he's like, I exhort you by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony, unity with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind. Be united in thought and purpose. And I can promise you, we need to be united. We need to get our thoughts to line up with God's Word. We need our purpose to be the same purpose that God laid out in Scripture. We don't need fights and splits and chaos going on around us. Now, the word church in the Greek is the word ekklesia, and it means to belong to the Lord. It means to be brought together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And when you see the word church, it really is implying unity, be united. Even Jesus would say in Matthew 16, 18, he goes, I will build my church He's taking the guys to Caesarea Philippi, and he's there, and he's like, guys, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And the word my is possessive. It means it belongs to the Lord. The church belongs to the Lord. The Lord built one church. Jesus never built a denomination. There were no denominations in the first century. The Lord did not establish denomina uh, denominations. Man did. Denominations, if you go back and study church history, they've been around for about 500 years. Now, where we find ourselves living today, please listen to me. The two main umbrellas of theology, if you will, that denominations are under are Calvinism 
and Arminianism. You can study these. But these two systems of theology, what they try to do and in and, and their t- attempts is they try to explain the relationship between the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. And each of these, if you study them, Calvinism, named for John Calvin, a French theologian in the early 1500s, he's got the five points of Calvinism, or people ascribe to him. The same thing, Arminianism. Jacobus Arminius, a Dutch theologian who lived in the late 1500s, he's got his five, which kind of refuted some of Calvin. And, and, and these are the two main umbrellas that most churches camp out under, if you will. Now, some of the arguments as a result of those uh, fundamental uh, theological positions and systems, if you will, today, some of the main arguments that get attention today is this. Do you believe in election and predestination? Or do you believe that you can fall from grace and lose your salvation? Those are sticky points. Those are areas where people divide. Another raging debate you'll hear is about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And I've seen people divide over these areas and just will not fellowship. And I promise you, if you want to get somebody fired up, go to these issues right here and have a strong position on it against someone who has a different position. You want to fight? You want to debate? Those will cause some raging, raging debates. As I've studied theology all these years, I personally believe that both systems have strength. Both systems have value, but both fail in their attempt to explain the unexplainable. When you read Isaiah 55, here's what the Lord declares. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, declares the Lord. And I'm telling you, I do not believe that any human being and any man is fully capable of understanding the mind of God. The Cross Loganville, our position is that we're a non-denominational church. And the reason why, years ago, in my own personal study, guys, I'm just telling you, I work with such a variety of brothers from different walks of life. And I can tell you, my heart was, if I ever pastor locally, we've got to be a non-denominational church because the word denomination means to divide the nation. Revelation 12.10, we read this where it says that the accuser of the brethren stands before the throne of God day and night making accusations against the saints. The word accuse in the Greek is the word kategoreia. And I believe that the enemy's greatest tool of trying to separate or categorize has been through denomination. That's where I stand. And I can tell you, God, throughout the pages of Scripture, he calls us to maintain unity. He says, be humble, be gentle, bear with one another, love each other, come together. He says, I want you to hold strong to the word of God. Remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's basically in Romans 14 saying, do not, do not fight over opinions. Don't fight over opinions. And we can discuss our, our opinions, but we must never divide over those. 
There's certain core beliefs and certain doctrines that I'm not going to bend on. But under the umbrella of God's love, he gives us freedom. And I'm telling you right now, some things that we read in Scripture, they create more heat than they do light. They create more fires than they do love. And the reason unity is essential, and Jesus says it repeatedly, be united, be one, so that the world may believe. Now, when we let our preferences and agendas and personalities divide uh, divide us, we might as well say, I don't even care if the world believes, because that's the attitude and approach that we have. Now, hear me. We're not going to overlook sin, and we're not going to dismiss rebellion, but unity must be one of our highest priorities, because it is a testimony of the lordship and leadership and authority of Jesus Christ in our lives. Jesus knowing his time is near, there's hours that separate him from this conversation to the Father, to the cross of torture that he's about to be murdered on. He prays one final time. He prays for his followers, and he didn't pray for their success, and he didn't pray that they would be happy. He prayed for their unity. He prayed that they would love each other. And he also prayed for those who will believe. I'm praying, Lord, that all people, all people are going to know that you're my followers by how much you love each other. And I can tell you, unity matters to God. Unity matters to God. Unity creates belief. How will the world believe that Jesus was sent by God? Not if we agree with each other, not if we solve every issue, not if we all vote the same, not if we all agree on the same non-essential doctrines, but if we love him and love each other. Unity creates belief. And I was thinking, who wants to join a team when the players can't even get along? I mean, it's a contradiction and a violation of Jesus's high priestly prayer. Paul Bilheimer said this, the continuous and widespread fragmentation of the church has been the scandal of the ages. It has been Satan's master strategy. The sin of disunity has probably caused more souls to be lost than all other sins combined. Unity is a key for reaching the world with the gospel. It is a key to evangelism, and I believe that it should be a priority in our prayers today, that we should pray that the church of Jesus Christ would rally together, be established on the essentials, and quit fighting and dividing over everything. If we really want the world to hear, and if we really want the world to believe the good news, then we must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that Paul would write about in Ephesians 4. Maintain the unity. Create that, that space where people can pull together. And I'm telling you right now, unity needs to be preserved and unity needs to be protected. And God is calling us to unite on the essentials. When the church in Rome, you go back and read the book of Romans, they were debating over whether they should eat meat offered to idols or not. 
Paul did not come to them and say, hey, I'll tell you what you need to do. Since you guys have such a debate going on, y'all need to start two different churches. And I would encourage you, you guys over there that are into the meat eating, why don't y'all start pig out fellowship? And you guys over here that don't want to eat it, why don't you start the assembly of the vegetarians? He didn't do that. He did not do it. Paul stopped and he said, hey, let me urge you with something. Christ accepted you. And I want to encourage you, you should accept each other. Because when you do so, it's going to bring glory to God. Is God asking you today, and is he asking me today, to do anything more than what he has already done? No chance. If God can forgive my sin, shouldn't I extend grace to others? If God allows me with all my hangups and failures to call him, Father, Abba, Daddy, shouldn't I extend that same love to others? If God does not demand perfection from me, should I really try to demand it of others? I'm telling you, I pray for the day when Jesus' prayer is answered and that we will be united, that we would be one with Jesus. I long for the day that John 17, the high priestly prayer, is realized in being lived out. Is it possible for it to happen on the earth? I don't know. It may be eternity before I get to see this lived out, but I long for that day, and I pray that you long for it as well. Here is my close to you. Are you united with Jesus have you surrendered to Christ? Have you repented and received the gift of salvation? Have you allowed Jesus to take over your life to conform you and shape you into the person he desires for you to be? If not, I would encourage you, do it today. I would also ask you, do you have a divided spirit with anyone today? Is there hate and just discourse and bitterness and resentment that you have toward anyone, especially anyone who is a believer as well. Let me encourage you, seek peace in that relationship. As far as it depends on you, pursue peace with all men. I encourage you to repent and get it right. God invites us to press into him. And my deepest prayer for the Cross Loganville and for the church at large is that we would seek unity and the bond of peace that is found only in Jesus Christ. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for John 17. Lord, again, thank you for extending to us, Lord, such incredible grace and mercy. Lord, Thank you for putting up and accepting me with all my hang-ups and failures. Thank you for loving me when I felt unlovable. Thank you, Father, for, for extending kindness to me when I was rude and arrogant and so cocky and conceited. Lord, I pray for every person watching right now. I pray first and foremost that if there's those that are sitting there going, I don't even have a relationship with Christ, that they would say right now, God, save me from me and save me to you. Lord, please come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. Lord, for others that are sitting there, yeah, I've got a relationship with Christ, but I'm at odds and, and I've got division going on with people. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has been given permission, even in their hearts right now, to convict them and that they 
would repent and father they would desire to pursue peace with those relationships with right now uh lord i just pray in the name of jesus that you would do a work in christ's name amen so guys let me say this before we wrap it up in worship if you've got any questions if you would like to talk to anyone about what we've uh, spoken today out of John 17, you can contact Dustin at thecrossloganville.org. Uh, we would love to be able to help you. We want to be able to walk with you in those next steps. So God bless you, and I pray as we continue to worship that we would press in and seek unity in the name of Christ. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.